0: So good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of Genomics Gapshap. Uh, this is a, a, a program that we have created so that we can reduce the distance that is there between the patient, the, the doctor, the geneticist, and the people who are actually you know, uh, also caregivers that are there. So we try to simplify things that are there. And uh, we've been lucky to have been able to get 10 episodes so far. And we are hoping that as we go along, we'll be able to expand on this theme further. And today we are very excited. We have a young and and, um, very, very educated doctor from uh, Ames who's a medical oncologist and has just come back to Hyderabad. So we are very lucky to have you in our city uh, Dr. Uh, Rohit, and uh, so welcome to the show, Dr. Rohit Reddy. Um, uh, you are a me- medical oncologist who has not just done your basic uh, training in medicine, but you have gone out to do a lot of work in in AIMS, and you are also now also publishing a lot of papers in in genomics and and other such areas. So we are very very delighted to have you on the show. Thank
1: you, Thank you so much, ma'am. Indeed, it's a pleasure to be present on this show today. Thank, Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, doctor. And I'd like to start with your your journey. Um, so what inspired you to become a doctor and an oncologist uh, for that matter uh, as a specialization? So
1: basically uh, I have become a doctor because my father is also a doctor. So from my childhood, I've been uh, exposed to most of the things what take good doctor. So that's what uh, something inspired me to take up this uh, field. So regarding the oncology part, uh, so as I've started doing my internal medicine residency, somehow I got uh, attracted to this field which is uh, ever advancing, which has a new thing coming up every other day. And it also feels nice ki what is actually deemed to be incurable when you can cure it. So most of the times there is a wrong notion that cancer is incurable. So... As an oncologist, I would want to remove this motion and also would want you to understand that uh, cancer is something which is curable and especially genomics play a very important role in the management of any cancer. So that, that would be my main aim today. Thank you. Um,
0: so I, I must tell you that, um, you know I keep talking about preventive oncology and preventive testing. Uh, And I think you were probably the first doctor that I saw on your profile, preventive oncology. And and I must say, I was very impressed with that and very excited to see that on your profile. So when you say preventive oncology, uh, what does that mean? I know that for instance, from where I come from, at least we say that maybe 30 to 50% of cancers are preventable, Uh, but maybe it would be helpful to understand as a medical professional and and an oncologist, what do you mean by preventive oncology?
1: Yes, ma'am. Preventive oncology, I would say, is an upcoming branch. It's a sub-branch of oncology. So it basically uh, deals with preventing cancer before it happens in a particular uh, person. So the steps would include first you would generally talk to the patient, know their uh, family history, whether there is any strong family history of cancers running, if they don't have any strong family history of cancer, then they are uh, uh, prescribed routine preventive measures like maintaining a healthy weight, quitting smoking. And apart from that, related to specific cancers, the most common cancers in India, which we are facing currently with are gynecological cancers. Since to prevent a breast cancer, we would advise them annual mammogram starting from the age of 40 years. And for cervical cancers, it could be HPV vaccination including screening protein cytology-based screening tests for cervical cancers. But if they are at increased risk of cancer, like if they have an increased family history of cancer, so we would uh, ask them to come over, get specific genetic tests done. Mm -hmm. And in case some of those genetic tests come positive, we would really advise them. For example, routinely, we would... uh, See BRCA mutation and uh, other things. So <laughs> people who have this genetic mutation called as BRCA positive, so they would uh, undergo risk-reducing surgeries and etc. So this is what comes under the mantle of uh, uh, preventive oncology. It's generally, how to how you pre- how you would prevent the cancer in a pa- particular
0: patient. So what happens when um, you know one of the uh, challenges that people say is that you know let's say you get tell me that I'm at risk for cancer um, yes. and I'm sure that you know when they do see that they probably come to you right I mean they come to us as well from yes. a genetic counseling yes. point of view but they come to you uh, so what do what is the first thought that comes in a person's mind when they see that you know either they're BRCA positive or some other uh, marker that they test positive for uh, and uh, what are their concerns when, when they come to you
1: the major concern uh, of such patients who do test positive is uh, their likelihood chance of uh, having a cancer in case if it comes positive. And the next thing would be how to reduce the risk if, in case they have positive. The third thing would be the risk of transmitting to their children or the risk in the particular siblings. So these are certain issues which they would be uh, facing with. And especially a geneticist or a genetic counseling, Counselor are very important because they do play an important role in explaining these patients, in explaining such patients, what exactly is their risk, how can they reduce the risk, and what is the risk of transmitting to their siblings or children, if at all. So, these are certain issues that we'll be facing with. And as a role, uh, as a medical oncologist, we would want to ensure them that we have modalities by which we can decrease their risk to a bare minimum and especially a genetic counselor also helps us in augmenting our knowledge and also in explaining to the patients these things in a much simpler way.
0: Okay. And I think you also mentioned that you know yeah. up to 95% of them, if, I think people can, can do a lot of things on their own. So yeah. you know, I think a di- diagnosis or, or having a risk mutation does, is not the one and only cause for, for cancer. Yeah. I think it is... Yeah. It is a risk factor that that uh, is there in combination. And then there are medical professionals who can help you reduce that risk. Um, so one of this uh, other uh, thing that I was seeing, and you've done a lot of work on sarcoma, right? Yes. And and I, I have an interest in word roots. So I was reading this one interesting paper, which basically said that, um, you know, the word OMA, which basically currently we believe is like a tumor or a growth thing, was not actually the philosophically initially wasn't originally there in the greek word and it was just a uh, ma ma and then yes. you know things was added so if you can explain to us you know um, to the average person what is sarcoma uh, and and uh, should they should people be worried when they see something that says sarcoma uh, on on anything that uh, on their medical reports for instance okay. so
1: basically uh, uh, when we talk about tumors tumors are of a- Uh, broadly divided into three types. It's a carcinoma, it's a sarcoma and a lymphoma. A carcinoma is something to do with all the epithelial tissues like our skin, the lungs, the bronchial tissue, the intestinal epithelium and all this. The sarcoma is something which is more to do with the connective tissues. Like for example, if you have a tumor developing from the muscle, from the underlying connective tissue, this is something which is called a sarcoma. Sarcomas can be benign they can also be malignant. So as soon as you hear a term sarcoma, I think you should not be worried. You should, in fact, consult your uh, medical oncologist, ask them whether this is a benign variant or whether it's a malignant variant. In case if it's a malignant variant, if it's localized, surgery alone can be done and you can cure that patient. But unfortunately, some patients do present with metastasis. Then also we have a lot of newer things which are coming up which can cure the patient. So this is uh, it's a very rapidly evolving branch. Sarcomas are, as such, very rare. So whenever a person gets labeled a diagnosis of sarcoma, one should be doubly w- sure before labeling it as a diagnosis of sarcoma.
0: So when uh, just to uh, maybe simplify, benign is something that is good or not not to be worried about in some ways, and malignant is something that maybe is potentially can cause actual I mean, uh, uh, can, can cause damage. Um, And I think there's one more word that you used. I'm just trying to see if I can simplify some of the words that are there. And I think what is metastasis? You, You mentioned that as well.
1: A cancer, whenever it starts, it starts in a particular organ or at a particular place. When it starts spreading from that particular place to any other location, like for example, routinely we see breast cancers. When the breast cancer, which is present in the breast, spreads to either the bones, the lungs or the liver, that particular stage is called as metastasis. If you see a cancer at two different places other than the original site, then it's basically metastasis.
0: So, I mean, as it starts moving, it might end up like uh, creating much more damage. Um, So you use a lot of uh, genomics in cancer, but there are many things that can be done, right? Oncology is one area where where genomics is used quite extensively. Uh, So in your particular case, uh, how do you use genomics in cancer? Uh, Can you explain maybe some of the kinds of tests that you might be using?
1: It's like, uh, so genomics is is used in many ways in cancer. Like for example, right from the moment uh, when we are faced with the diagnostic challenges, sometimes we do ask for uh, genetic testing to basically confirm whether it's the cancer, what we have uh, under suspicion, that's one use. And apart from that, like routinely, for example, in uh, either in uh, in, uh, breast cancer or in lung cancers, we ask for certain specific markers to allow us to guide us in choosing a particular therapy. Like routinely in lung cancer, we ask for something called as DNA testing, DNA sequence testing. So based on this DNA sequence testing, we actually choose particular kind of treatment whether a person should be put on oral drugs alone whether they should be given some iv therapy such as chemotherapies or whether they should receive something like immunotherapy it's not only in breast cancer or in lung cancer even in rest of the cancers nowadays genomics help us not only in diagnosing the cancer but also in choosing the right therapy for the patient this is something which is also known as precision medicine in the modern era So apart from uh, aiding us in diagnosis and therapy, sometimes it will also know, it will also predict the risk in subsequent generations. Also, like for example, we have just now discussed, there is something called as BRCA testing. BRCA testing is routinely offered in breast and ovarian cancer, which helps us in two ways. It predicts the risk of cancer in the subsequent generations within the same family. It also helps us to choose certain therapies patients are BRCA positive, then we can use certain therapies for them. So this is how we routinely use uh, genomics in oncology as such, both for diagnosis, for therapy related, and also for preventive purposes.
0: So, so you summed it up nicely that uh, you can use it for prevention if you are able to understand the risk that is likely to be passed on to different generations, but you also be able to use it for uh, both in terms of diagnosing and confirming uh, your uh, yes. Diagnosis as well as for treatment option. Now, on the treatment option, I think there are two ways. Right, you have sometimes you are looking at uh, your hereditary sort of cancers, and then the second is more. Uh, you're also looking at tissue and and that specific area where the cancers are are coming up. Uh, so, how often is uh, when when you look at genetic testing? Is it more? hereditary cancer testing like a BRCA or, or something or do you see a lot more which is uh, somatic testing which is for that specific patient you know at that time trying to find out if what kind of treatment they need uh, is there some sort of a trend that you see at all or is that uh, depends on you know it,
1: it, it, uh, it all uh, starts from the family history and from the history at uh, which the patient presents like uh, for certain cancers, like for example ovarian cancer, it's universally recommended that they should undergo uh, BRCA testing. But in breast cancer, there are certain criteria, like if it's a young patient presenting with the breast cancer, only then you would uh, advise for uh, BRCA testing. But routinely, uh, we use it more for therapy-related. All these genomic tests are more related, more used for therapy-related. It helps us to choose a particular treatment over the other uh, existing treatment options. Based on uh, certain markers, we would uh, advise a particular treatment to the patient. Apart from that, we do, yes, routinely advise uh, genetic counseling for all uh, cancer patients, especially cancers such as breast cancer, colorectal cancers, and uh, lung cancers. We would advise them some sort of uh, genetic counseling to predict their risk and probably prevent the risk in the future generations. So this is what we use routinely
0: and and when you mention genetic counseling is that something then that you know patients expect you to do or 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 you can give that as something that think, the genetic counselor think, does I'm,
1: you are you are the more expert in that <laughs> yeah, but yes, I, we, we do routinely do some uh, genetic counseling but i would not uh, feel that i am ex- an expert i would rather prefer my genetic counselor to do the uh, proper uh, genetic counseling, it usually includes uh, components like you explain them uh, regarding the test. You would also explain them what to do in case if it comes positive and you would give something like a post-test counseling also. So these are the routine components that are in genetic counseling.
0: So so one one feedback that we got from some of the oncologists was, and and this is maybe you are much more familiar with genomics than others, Mm -hmm. was that we want to know what to do next, right? I mean, you've come right. up with the. So, is that something that you feel that is an important element of what we should put on a like, like on a genetic test? Because at the end, I think you know, can will that make it simplified for for um, you know for quicker adoption of these tests? Right, because Correct. if someone's not familiar with it.
1: Correct. I think what you have told is right, ma'am. I think. Uh... Every institute, every oncologist should should always be in touch with the genetic counselor so that things get smoother. Sometimes we actually don't know what is the right test to be uh, chosen for a particular uh, cancer or sometimes we get confused with the battery of tests which are available. I think a genetic counselor role is important in such scenarios that they guide us that this is a particular test, this is the more cost-effective test that you can use. And in case these mutations come positive, then you have to refer such patients to us so that we uh, guide them in a better way. So see, genomics plays an uh, uh, very important role in oncology. Uh, as I've uh, already told, it uh, enables us uh, in uh, choosing better therapies for our patients and also probably preventing the cancer in the same patient and also in their uh, subsequent generations. So as an oncologist, what to be chosen? What is the right test for this particular patient? Suppose in case it comes to be positive, then what to do next? So these are the uh, certain scenarios that we routinely face with. So I feel that, uh, I feel that a genetic counselor would really help us in this scenario they would actually allow us to choose the right test they would also uh, help us in exactly counseling the patient regarding these tests and would also help us in case if any of these tests come positive what exactly to be done next yes we do know about the therapy part of it but there are a lot of other genetic mutations genetic variations which we don't have knowledge regarding So probably having a genetic counselor beside us would always help us in these scenarios.
0: Um, So what is it that you feel that is actually preventing us from a wide scale adoption of uh, this in clinical practice? Yes, Uh,
1: The main reason which I would feel is uh, one thing, lack of knowledge that there are certain tests which can be used uh, to prevent cancers, not only in oncology, in even in other fields of medicine, there is a lot of things going on genetics. I think uh, most of us need to keep update with the knowledge which is uh, going on around. Second thing, I would definitely tell the limited facilities we have in India. There are, We don't have a lot of uh, good centers in India, and they are very limited, only in a particular pocket of areas, probably restricted to the metropolitan cities. Third thing would be the availability, and fourth thing I would definitely say would be the cost. See, most of the times, uh, these uh, procedures are expensive. Yes, of course, uh, over the recent years, the cost has been decreasing greatly. So that would enable uh, many patients to undergo these tests. And last but not not the least, I feel that certain families, they are uh, somehow, uh, they have a bias against this genetic testing and uh, they would not prefer to undergo such genetic testing. Exactly. We, I think probably we'll have to address their fears and explain them in detail that this is a very minor procedure and would really help them in the future. So these are certain issues that we are facing.
0: So I, I remember when you said that you know people are a little bit worried. I think one people still think that it's a very complex procedure. So many times people would tell me that you know when I come to Hyderabad and then I will you know you can do what you want. So I said uh, you know you can actually be sitting in your home and give your sample and, and I, you don't need to come here at all. Yeah. I think people one are, are not aware that such a thing exists. The other thing I think you mentioned was that of cost, and one of the things, and I think this was also raised by a lot of other oncologists as well, and I think that was one of the reasons why we created a low-cost panel. We said, you know, want to do something that is much higher depth, but a lower cost, and so we can cover, you know, five cancers in it, uh, rather than, say, do the entire exome. But there is a lot of things happening on the genomics front. I mean, I've been in this space for 20 years, 22 years now. And one of the things that what is exciting is that this is one of the few places where the cost has been going down rapidly, right? And and I think today, you know, you can get tests done for as low as 5,000 to 15, what used to be almost like, you know, we started at, uh, even with the predictive part, we we started at 25. So I think a lot of changes have happened. Uh, even I think today there was a company that announced that uh, maybe next year they will do a whole genome at a at hundred dollars. Now, hopefully all of that will be true <laughs> and then it becomes uh, extremely affordable for, for everyone.
1: Probably then it would become like a routine blood testing only.
0: I think it's sort of getting there, right? I mean, we are seeing that uh, it's coming to about the cost of a executive health checkup, but yeah. you know, at some point, you, you know, if if a hundred dollar test would be covering the whole genome, I think we'll see a, a vast, massive shift in terms of how people think about it. But you know, yes. clearly I think it is not just the reagents, I think there are other pieces of looking at those 3.2 billion base pairs. if we had to do a million exactly. data. Well.
1: I think the cost would even come down and even not only as I think even other specialties will routinely get genetic testing
0: for every patient. Now, um, so, you know, one thing is that, you know, I saw your paper on uh, the evolving role of precision medicine in the management of uh, advanced sarcomas. Uh, If And and I thought you had very nicely laid out all the different, you know, possibilities in terms of treatment option. You have also uh, nicely laid down the genetic testing options. But if there is something that you would like to highlight from that paper, uh, what would that be?
1: Uh, We actually wrote that paper because, uh, as I've described, sarcomas are very rare. They constitute only about 1% of the total cancers. And most of the times, people know only uh, things like getting a surgery, probably giving chemotherapy, iron radiation therapy in sarcoma. But there's a lot of things which are happening in sarcoma. The genomics are actually exploding in sarcoma. So now uh, for every sarcoma, you can get a genetic test. Getting a genetic test, especially in sarcoma, would enable us to choose a particular therapy, at least even curing the most deadliest of sarcomas. So what I would really want people to know from that paper is that there are a lot of things, lot of genomics which are happening in sarcomas. So whenever if you see a patient or someone of your near and dear getting diagnosed with sarcoma, I would request you to ask your uh, treating doctor, what exactly are the latest advances in this particular subtype of sarcoma? And can we do something for this patient can we get a specific test? Do you want us to go to a genetic counselor? I think these are certain questions which uh, the patients uh, must ask uh, the particular treating doctor, because there are a lot of things which are happening in sarcoma.
0: And, uh, you know, clearly you mentioned sarcomas are rare, and I'm sure that every time someone's come up with a diagnosis like that, it must be a tough, uh, you know, for you know, most cancers, I think it is a tough thing being an oncologist in the first place, right? I think you're constantly dealing with people who are going through a very rough time of, the, of their life. So how do you prepare for, you know, such a tough, like, if you have a tough case, how do you prepare yourself emotionally? and Or, or is that something that doesn't matter? I think
1: uh, as soon as uh, uh, we uh, tell to the patients or their relatives regarding that they have a particular cancer, Most of them feel as if the world is crashing around them. So what uh, I would uh, advise to the viewers is that whenever you see a near and dear of you getting diagnosed with cancer, don't always think of death. I would want you to take it in a positive way. See, getting diagnosed with cancer is very uh, common in this particular age. As soon as you are diagnosed with a cancer, always, always, always understand that your doctor, your treating doctor is there to help you in every phase throughout your treatment. So right from the diagnosis, right to the point, whether you are going for a surgery or whether you are going for you are undergoing some sort of chemotherapies, or even once you get the entire treatment, even allowing you to again go back into the society normally or allowing a peaceful death whatever is happening your oncologist is always there to guide you in every step so i would advise uh, all the viewers uh, to be confident be positive adapt an uh, optimistic attitude do whatever you're doing previously there are nothing you need not restrict yourself in any way uh, even if any one of us get diagnosed with cancers so it's, it's a common thing. It's going to be even more common in the future. I would uh, request you all to be brave and to be uh, positive. Okay.
0: Uh, so, doctor, one more thing that, uh, you know, the, some of the statistics we are hearing is that, you know, maybe one out of 10 or now one out of eight people are likely to have cancer in some, you know, point of uh, diagnosis at some point in their lives. Yes. Now, um, the one is I wanted to check if that was true. Uh, and, and the second was to be able to see if if we did early diagnosis, like early you know, intervention in many cases, I think they said that uh, breast cancer in the US, for instance, was brought down by almost 90% uh, because, because they came in earlier and they got treated earlier. And, and as a result, I think uh, their uh, their response has been fantastic. I think one of the biggest challenges that we all face is that, you know, when you fear something, it doesn't mean that that thing goes away. You're better off, you know, dealing with it because if you do it earlier, you're more likely to get help than than later stage. But yeah. how do we, you know, do you think that, you know, if there was a possibility of doing a, a global screening of everybody mm. uh, and being able to help them at the early stages, do you think we could bring down, um, you know, a lot of the fatalities that we see in cancer?
1: yes sir. so regarding your first question ma'am yes it's true that uh, the cancer incidence is increasing as you have rightly told it's almost going to be around one in 10 during uh, their lifetime and uh, regarding the second question uh, of uh, doing uh, adequate screening tests yes getting adequate screening tests is known to prevent cancers such as breast cancer utero cervical cancers colorectal cancers for instance But regarding the thing called as global screening strategies, the issue is that not every person is at uh, risk for cancer. It's only like uh, after the age of 40 years or something that you actually tend to have a higher risk of cancer. Unfortunately, even with the modern uh, screening tests, uh, the cancers which uh, are amenable for screening are very few, like for example, such as breast cancer, or uh, for example, uh, the cervical cancers, the colorectal cancers, but for many cancers such as lung cancers, stomach and other intestinal cancers, or for example, hepatocellular cancers, there are no proper screening tests yet. So we are, uh, there's a lot of research which is going on, but unfortunately we don't have any screening tests for these. Even for blood cancers also, there are no proper uh, approved uh, screening tests. So yes, whatever we can do, whatever we can prevent, I think at least we should take care of those
0: things first. I guess some of the more common ones, I think, um, like you know, breast and others, at least you you have a sense of understanding, then you are able to make yes, certain lifestyle changes Screening
1: will bring down the uh, chance of having an advanced breast cancer by about 90%. And
0: you also mentioned I think in another video of yours that I saw about lung cancer, that and and I think that's one of the things we tell a lot of our customers as well that you know having a risk is just one thing but if you stop smoking you'll reduce half of your risk right definitely, um, definitely. you know that's something people don't pay much attention to that there are many things they can do on their own to prevent uh, a risk for a particular cancer as well um, so do you think that there should be a certain age at which you mentioned 40 years uh, as when you start seeing more but do you think there is any specific age where people should start thinking about you know looking at some sort of a screening or or uh, at least checking if they have a family history um, in in terms of a genetic test for
1: i, I feel that right from the age of uh, 25 you should start thinking about uh, uh, cancer screening or cancer preventive methods especially i think the most important thing is to adapt a healthy lifestyle quit smoking encourage i mean i would encourage you all to take a lot of fruits and vegetables so these are routine things but apart from that always always remember whether you have an increased family history of cancer in case if you have a routinely if you have an increased family history of cancer then the screening should start at a much earlier age i would advise you to probably undergo a screening is right from the age of 25 years only. Suppose in case if you don't have an increased family history of cancer, then that's fine. You can start from 40 years, but in case if you have a lot of uh, your relatives having breast cancer, colorectal cancer, and all these things, think you should start screening from an earlier age, preferably from the age of 25 years. And if in case uh, there is also an increased family history, you should always visit a genetic counselor or an oncologist, go to them, ask them, yeah. Are there any available genetic tests which can predict exactly uh, their chance of having the cancer in future? So these are certain things which you need to keep in mind.
0: So thank you. And, and one thing I want to shift a little bit towards the pandemic. I think one big challenge for a lot of people, especially those uh, who were undergoing treatment in cancer, was that during the pandemic, they, it was it was very hard for them. Uh, so do you think that that sort of has impacted cancer care both in negative and positive ways? Also, because I guess maybe digitization uh, happened a lot more now. As,
1: because of uh, yes, because of the pandemic, there were a lot of issues. Many of the patients who had to come receive their injections could not do, and uh, as such, uh, sometimes we had a compromise in the cancer care because of the pandemic. But apart from that, uh, one very good thing which came up was uh, increased uh, usage of uh, telemedicine that we had. Uh, we were in touch with our patients. We could do online video calls and probably try and arrange for uh, facilities for infusions at wherever they were there. And uh, so this is uh, even increasing as as we have seen rightly, Zoom was not present before the pandemic. And right now, even we are on Zoom, a lot of things which are happening around but definitely during the pandemic we also saw an increase in uh, change shift of the iv therapies to oral therapies which enabled most of our patients to have a uh, decent uh, quality of life uh, even during the pandemic but telemedicine is one thing which re- greatly came up during the pandemic and i think this is also going to be in our lives
0: for the coming years okay thank you and uh, just one quick question before we move to the rapid fire: Is that mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned that you know a lot of the cancer care is available in the big cities, right? Correct. So I mean, in some ways we are biased in our treatment. Mm-hmm. Do you think there are other uh, other uh, segments of bias that come up in in uh, cancer care at all?
1: Mm, I didn't get your question. <laughs> so uh, I
0: mean, like, is there a bias when it comes to gender? Are there enough women coming for? Correct. It correct. I think. Uh, uh, or anything else like that? that
1: that's, that's an it. example. That's an, uh, that's a good question. Right? Uh, yes, definitely. The cancer care is more biased towards cities. And uh, socioeconomic status is one factor which uh, definitely decides the uh, amount of care that they are going to receive. Uh, as we know, that Oncology is rapidly advancing. We have many newer drugs which are available, but unfortunately, they are not accessible to around uh, more than 95 percent of our patients especially one therapy which all might be listening to like immunotherapy it's costly and uh, almost around 95 uh, percentage of our patients cannot afford it so that would be one more bias regarding the gender bias which you have described it's more seen in pediatric cancers in pediatric cancers we see that uh, only the Male children are brought to a hospital at an uh, earlier stage as compared to the females. But uh, in the adult cancers, which we, we, we generally don't see this uh, scenario which is happening. But I think over the years as education improves and as the facilities become more available and as the cost of treat therapy goes down, I think this is going to improve. Even there are a lot of uh, government-run cancer centers which are coming up across India. I think that would be very useful for the, most of the patients.
0: So, is there um, something that you would like to say maybe in Telugu or or something to the viewers that, uh, you know, why it's important for them to be, uh, to look at prevention or, or something at, at an early stage or come to a doctor at an early stage?
1: Uh, so, uh, I wanted to say is, cancer prevent just team mm-hmm. ledu okay mana family history and a first man choose call and matin echo cancer on the lead I choose families like cancer and pissematram, the have okay cancer specialist nana, me the physician and genetic counselor nana of Sir Kalavanbi. Calusteva in corrective advice in the country, always, 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 prevent chess codam chala is cancer diagnosis therapy related changes Ostonte Danival and a So in the Naganimanum prevent chess codamanedi chala oh,
0: I wish I could speak it speak in Telugu that you entry. I, I do understand and I speak, but not, not anywhere close to your level of proficiency. Uh, So let me move to the more fun part of this uh, conversation, right? Um, So we call this the rapid fire. Um, So one, do you read any book? Do you read books or or, uh, is that...
1: Yes, Yes, I do read books. (laughs)
0: Which one would be your favorite book?
1: Um, I read more of uh, mystery novels. Uh, I like uh, John Grisham. I also like uh, the... Sidney Sheldon and such novels I'm more into mystery and fantasy kind of things I'm a great fan of Harry Potter novels also
0: (laughs) J.K. Rowling so at least it's the same sort of books that I've read at least (laughs) yeah Uh, what about movies do you watch movies as well or
1: yes I do watch movies, but uh, unfortunately not recently not for the past two to three years
0: (laughs) so if you were not a doctor um, Mm. what would you have been or what would you have liked to be
1: I wanted to be a chemical engineer always, but somehow uh, the field of medicine attracted me more. Probably if I was not a doctor, I think I would have been a chemical engineer. Only. Okay.
0: And, and a final question. Is there some favorite destination or city that you would like to be like go to?
1: <laughs> I always wanted to go to Antarctica once. Nice. <laughs>
0: i think i I've, I've been to the arctic but i haven't been okay. to the arctic so, but it is a fascinating place i think when you when you go there and you see the no, pictures, you. it is it's quite yes. fascinating so, yes ma'am. so thank you so much dr rohit i think this was absolutely fantastic conversation that we had uh, i wish we could have met you in person and hopefully we will at some point but it was very, very helpful, and I think all our viewers will also really benefit out of getting this knowledge from from this conversation with you. So, if there's anything else you would like to say, or we will. We'll...
1: Thank you so much, ma'am. Thank you for the opportunity. I thank all the viewers for uh, listening to this program today, and uh, it would be also. It would also be great if I could visit you sometime in your office again. Thank you, you so much, ma'am.
0: Thank you. So much. Thank you so much. Thank you, ma'am. Take care. Bye.